everyone, and welcome to episode three of Up and Away. This week we're joined by aeromedical pilot and musician Simon Burke. This episode's a little special because some of you might know I've spent most of my life as a professional musician, and now in my late 20s I'm exploring my lifelong dream of aviation. Simon's story isn't too different. After a long and successful career in music, he has now had an equally exciting and fulfilling career as a pilot. This has included being a flight instructor, flying freight, as well as now being an aeromedical pilot for Ambulance Victoria. Also this week I got some pretty cool up and away stickers and badges. I'll be giving them away to everyone who leaves a review on Apple Podcasts. Just remember to screenshot your review and either send it to me or post it on your Instagram story or Facebook and you'll get your sticker and badge. Now fasten your seatbelt and let's go. Hey Simon and welcome to Up and Away. Hey, how you going? Not too bad, how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. So I always ask this at the start of every podcast, when did your aviation journey start? Uh, I guess uh, about 10 or 12 years ago. Um, I bought my granddad for his 80th birthday a uh, trip to flight experience. Oh yeah, cool. Um, which, was, which was a 737 flight simulator in Melbourne. And and I, at the time, I guess I was looking for something to study and to do. And um, yeah, I, I, had, I think I had as much fun as he did and I was just watching and um, and got chatting to the instructor in there who was a pilot also in the real world, not just the sim world. And he suggested a trial flight, and off I went from there. That's pretty cool. I've wanted to do that for a while. I can't really do it at the moment, but when, yeah. when we're out of this, I want to do the 737 thing. Yeah, well, I sort of, I, as soon as I went there, I was like, oh, I want to work here, you know, and, and I think <laughs> <laughs> I think I ended up um, working there when I had what was called the GFPT at the time. So I was like flying this 737 sim <laughs> with very little idea. And uh, it was good fun, really great crew of people working there at the time who I still stay in touch with. But, um, but yeah, it was good fun. It was a good learning experience. That's uh, not a full motion sim, is it? No, fixed base. Um, but, you know, we, we had some people come in and look at it at the time and, and they were, like, I can remember someone from Qantas uh, Sim Centre sitting in there. And, well, Anne said it was probably cool. And, um, and yeah, they thought, it, they thought it was pretty good. But it had a bit of a weird... what. Uh, parallax error from one side so you'd you'd feel like you were going sideways but uh, apart from that yeah pretty good yeah awesome so before you started becoming an aviator (laughs) you're a full-time musician yeah yeah probably uh, I mean I I probably fell into it through default like a a lot of musicians um, I loved music all through school and I didn't I didn't study formally um, and uh, I guess like a lot of other things I've sort of found my way through it. But, yeah, I was, I was just working, just worked my way up through the ranks and had bands and toured and played with, you know, sessionally with different people. And um, that, that's continued. I mean, I think when you're a musician, it's sort of like it's something I'd, well, lockdowns proved that I'd keep doing it whether I'm earning money from it or not. It's, um, it's a bug that you get a bit like flying and um, you're stuck doing it once, once you love doing it. That's true. You can always kind of go back to it and do little, little bits here and there and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate to have, I mean, I, for a while there when I first started working as a pilot, it was a necessity for me to actually keep playing music because <laughs> the pay for in, you know your early days as a pilot is is uh, frightening really <laughs> considering <laughs> how much it costs to get there. So you've really got to want to do it. But I, I actually kept, kept playing gigs and, um, you know, doing the wedding circuit for a period of time there to uh, 
to put me through my flight school and also to kind of prop up the income through the first couple of years. I had a young family and um, just bought a house and stuff like that. (laughs) So, so, uh, yeah, I had to keep playing music to survive. That's pretty funny because you always think of music as a low income earner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I looked for a couple of years. It was it was trumping the aviation. I mean, I you know I was lucky. I guess I, I worked hard and was um, you know a busy musician, like uh, you know like doing a lot of different things and and um, yeah. So so I I couldn't stop. I really couldn't stop. It's pretty funny. So me coming from a musician background as well, going into aviation, I've also picked something that will be hard to begin with as well. <laughs> it's good to know. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, there's obviously with everything that's going on at the moment, there seems there's a lot of negativity, and and rightfully so. Like it's the industry is truly being gutted, you know, at the moment. Um, but I, I don't know. I have a reasonably positive outlook about recovery. It will take time. But I think that um, it will recover. It's just it's going to be a time thing. And, you know, some people that are really well established in the industry are going to have to really grin and bear it and do other things through this time. And that's where I think having other skills and interests actually is really important. Um, but, yeah, if you're training at the moment, I think that's fine. Keep training and, and work your way through it. I think so. It's it's definitely been the industry that's had ups and downs over the years, and um, uh, particularly during the GFC and and everything. So it's it's nothing that hasn't really happened before. I think it's unprecedented in many ways, but I, I definitely believe it's something that will come back as well. Yeah, I mean, a vaccine's going to be a big part of that, but but um, I think you know it, it is different in the sense that really traveling is really not possible at the moment because of the you know obviously the pandemic but the laws that each country is setting and stuff like that so that is unusual i don't i don't know whether there's ever been a worldwide travel ban you know essentially Um, so um, but i think there will be a recovery it's just that it's going to be hard to see that if you're right in the middle of it and i know people that have lost it you know a lot of really good people that have lost their jobs and um and that's in in aviation and music so it's been a pretty sort of hard thing to watch actually and, and it's just been a complete fluke working in the aeromedical field that i've you know kept my job so mm. so why the career change after all that time uh well i was i was a touring musician and i i'm probably not really it's funny to say that i'm not really built for travel and so i move into aviation <laughs> but, <laughs> but um but i just the actual rigmarole of being away so much of found it very um destabilizing and and that was just you know something that i although i loved the music i traveled you know almost non-stop for about seven years doing various things and um overseas and whatnot and and i was just i don't know i just i just wanted to be at home for a little bit um some of the jobs that i would had sort of came to a natural end as well i was doing some theater stuff and um, it came to an end and i was like ah. Oh, I'll just sink my teeth into this. And then about two weeks after I finished the last sort of overseas tour, I met, met my now wife. And um, and so, you know, things sort of escalated quickly from there. And we, you know, not too long later had, had Finn. And, and um, yeah, so it was sort of one of those things that um, I sort of found I just wanted to be home a lot more. So um, that sort of led to that and then, 
I'd been plugging away at the aviation and, and self-studied, uh, but ran out of cash. And um, and then I sold my soul to the devil and went and went down the he- went down the hex path and uh, you know went to a uni and finished my flight training instructor rating that way. I think that's a pretty good option in Australia for a lot of people doing the hex thing. Yeah, look, I thought being, I think I was, I must have been uh, about 36 or 37 at the time and had a PPL. And um, once once I had a kid, I just sort of thought, well, it might take me five more years of just trying to struggle out the hours and whatever. Um, it certainly wasn't my, my first, I would have preferred to have been able to chip away at it slowly, but it was actually really beneficial in the long run because I got things done and you know, was out working within about a year, year and a half from having a PPL. That's pretty cool. So, yeah. Where, um, what kind of course was that? Was it a diploma course or? Yeah, so an advanced diploma at, at RMIT um, Point Cook, um, out there on the air base. It was a, it was a big culture shock for me. I came from a, a sort of aero club, um, flying background, and it was re- it was really good. I got really good training, but it was really nice relaxed atmosphere and initially I hadn't made a decision whether I was going to be a commercial pilot then quickly realized that I couldn't afford to do it unless I was going to make it a career um, but yeah so at RMIT they were really heavily based around SOPs like standard operating procedures and checklists and and so that was a big shock for me it took me it took me a, a quite a while to adjust um, but I, I ended up getting a I had some great instructors and particularly some great instructors later on for the instructor rating. So um, they kind of knocked me into shape, if you like. <laughs> yeah, right. You also become a grade one instructor. Yeah, I, I think being a bit older because I, I, really, I still really enjoy if I If I ever had to go back to training and stuff like that, I, you know, I have no problem with that. Some people seem to have an allergy <laughs> to instructing like it's a dirty little secret. Yeah. But um I think that's because a lot of people just want to be driving the big, big planes. Um, but no, I, I really like it, and I really um, like the variety of, in training different uh, contracts. And I did, you know, local guys and uh, international contracts from China and India, and um, yeah. So personally, I really like that. And then I moved into sort of instructor training as well, um, and sort of then you move into the IFR training. There's, there's a lot of pathways you can go down. I mean. There's good careers to be had in training if you if you want to do it um, long term, I th- but I also think for me there's a certain amount of patience tickets that you, that you have for training and and towards the end I think I think you just run out of them and I always said to myself when I got to that point <laughs> it would be time to move on. So I think it's good to recognise that in yourself when you get to the point where you're like ah oh, I think I've had enough it's time to move on. Yeah, I don't know. I've been like that sort of in lots of areas of my life. I, I just yeah, you know, I think some people think you've just got to keep doing everything forever. I, I'm not 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 a big fan of that. I, I'm a big sort of fan of enjoying life and and making sure that whatever you're doing, it's it's as fun as it can be. Um, and that's you know not always possible, but um, you've got to, yeah. If you've got that passion for it, then it makes it a lot easier. Whereabouts did you teach? Uh, so I started um, at MFTA, which was. Uh, a school up at Mangalore Airport, and they, they did only uh, international um, China Southern students, and um, yeah, that that was a real like really high um, capacity height, you know, a couple of hundred students I think at the time, maybe maybe 
some, somewhere in that vicinity. So um, it was a good place to go and really just get get flying and, and get a lot of hours quickly. I, I did have a plan in my mind, I guess, to try and, you know, your first, I think your first 500 to 1,000 hours are the, are the hardest to get. Um, and it's such a buzz when you do your first hour um, that you get paid for, <laughs> even if even if it's like $3.80 or something. But, You're like, I'm but, in the sky. <laughs> I'm getting paid to be in the sky. Yeah, it's an amazing feeling, um, you know. And, it's, and I think that's something else that's great um, in aviation is you just get all these little markers and they're really clear well-defined markers in in music I, you don't get those they're not so well defined i don't think unless you're doing really formal study i guess but you know your first solo your first um you know your first area solo where you go a little bit away from the airport and then your first navigation exercises and each one of them you know you can feel that you're sort of stepping further and further into this um, thing and it's really formulated so you, you really and you can look back in your logbook and see exactly when it all happened. Totally, and you can see it in the future too, so you can work towards it. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And um, some of those things, like, are something that a lot of us instructors talk about because there's a lot of instructors out there who are like, oh, I should have, you know, had this qualification and been teaching this. You know, and I was, I was probably one of those guys as well. And you, you get a bit shirty, and um, and it ends up being a situation where you often seem to get what you really want about a year after you think you're ready. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but, you know, but that's that's just uh, the sort of nature of the beast, but you just you keep working towards it, you know. I think it might come down to self-evaluation versus external evaluation of your own skills as well. Yeah, and, and I've got to admit, like, moving into, like, big flight schools, which are, which are, you know, big businesses in essence, was a huge removal from me from the music world, you know, where, you know, this everyone sort of loves each other and there's lots of, you know, playing music is a such a, a fantastic career in that regard because, you know, not to sound too wanky, there's a lot of love, there's a lot of warmth and a lot of the, the creation that you make in that world is, is sort of built around this um, not lovey-dovey stuff but it, it's, there's a warmth and a, and a great sort of, camaraderie now there's definitely that in aviation but it's it's got a pragmatic side that's got a hard edge that, that needs to be there you know and and i i had to develop that over time because it's actually a really important element of it in decision making and stuff like that but um yeah just uh, it's funny that the further i've gone on with my career the loosest people seem to get again they're sort yeah. of you know like the last thing i talk about these days at my job is flying i mean occasionally but it's it's you know we're talking about lots of other things you know and occasionally talking about flying whereas when you first start flying it's just all flying talk yeah yeah flying 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 <laughs> yeah flying 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 <laughs> but yeah so I, I i naturally gravitated towards people in my aviation career who had a lot of other interests outside of and i and i found that they were um really great people you know look from different career backgrounds so many interesting people in aviation yeah, it's funny to learn, particularly during this show, that so many people have gotten to aviation from other walks of life. Well, I think if you try, like particularly if you're trying to pay for it yourself, like before the the, uh, the hex world existed, mm. um, that's such a struggle. You can't necessarily do that unless you've got heaps of support from your parents as a young kid. And there's a few people, you know, where aviation is just in the family and they're just born into it and off they go. But I, But I think... You know, definitely in the past, 
Um, and even just when I was starting flying, the hex thing just didn't exist. Um, you know, so you really needed to have some career and some finance behind you to move into aviation. So you generally had people doing other things. Mm. So when you're a flight instructor, what was the most challenging thing you found? Oh, I, I'm not a huge fan of paperwork. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the the life of a flight instructor can be pretty heavy on the on the paperwork um, yeah, coming right. up to pre-licenses and things. Um, but in the end, you get used to that. Um, obviously, the pay can be a bit of a struggle, particularly as you're starting out. And, um, you know, if anyone ever asks me, I just try and lay it out on the line that, you know, those first few years, it, depending on where you are in, in your life, um, you know, it can be a struggle financially. Uh, but, you know, it can it can change quickly. And, and, and like I say, I think if you're willing to really put in and, and you want a career in instruction, um, there's generally a quick pathway through to, um, you know, better, a better financial position. Mm. But, yeah, like when you spent somewhere in the vicinity of eighty to $120,000 to get your qualifications <laughs> and then you rock in and it's like forty grand or less, I think it was back in my day. But, you know, like it's... You're like, I think the zero's missing here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it def- it's definitely... Um, it's definitely a bit of a shock, but I guess going also from the music music background, I mean, I was fortunate, but you go, what, 40, yeah, 40 grand, yeah. <laughs> I just spent 40 grand on my piano the other day. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, if you're, but if you're like, you come from the real world, like if you've actually been working in another field, you'll be like, what's what going on? <laughs> and, and you just have to, you just have to suck it up. But also, um, and I, I looked at it as a real positive, but when you're an older person, I mean, I had plenty of people and this will continue right throughout my career, far, far further ahead in the, you know, in the qualifications and hours and experience to me. And they might be 25 and I'm 40, you know, or something like that. And and so their life experience is different, but their flying experience, you know, far exceeds mine. And it's, and it's really important to just sort of um, stay humble and keep learning off everyone, you know, and I, 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 love dealing with you know kept, helps keep me young but you i'm not that i'm old but you just um you know you have a great time with the with like i really like to have a good time and um i think sometimes people probably think that i don't take the job seriously or well, they didn't you know but it's like um when i hit the plane it's 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 all business yeah. but um i really you know i really like to have a bit of a laugh and muck around with with the crew and um i think that's important to switch on and off like that I felt a bit self-conscious about that. I'm a bit like that in real life as well. And I was like, am I not cut out for being an aviator? Or, you know, because, uh, yeah, I make jokes a lot and everything like that. But if anyone knows me, I take things that I'm into very seriously when I'm doing the thing. So hopefully it's the same thing where the, the switch off when it's time to, you know, be in the plane and be in the cockpit. But I, I think it's important, like, I feel like there's kind of three really distinct types of pilots. You've got these sort of on the spectrum OCD types who just there is nothing other than aviation and, you know, and they they make great pilots. There's no doubt about that. But it's like there's that. Then at the other end of the spectrum, there's the complete and utter lunatics. You know, they're just like <laughs> crazy all the time and you go, what the hell's going on? And then in the middle, you know, there's this kind of, you know, people with a bit bit from both. <clears throat> and um 
you know, it's I, I like that. I mean, it, it is a role that does attract people <laughs> that like being on their own as well because it's, it's a, it can be a bit of a solo pursuit as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's for all different types, but I definitely know what you're talking about there. I, it took me a long time to feel comfortable with who exactly who I was within the environments of, you know, because all of a sudden I'm wearing suit like a you know shirt mm. with a tie and epaulettes and and i was you know so thrown out by all these things you know that i hadn't done i went to public schools and wear what you like you know and um and never really did it much formal study so um yeah it's a bit of a shock to the system yeah definitely i find i find that would be um after you were a flight instructor where did you go from there a lot of jobs like the the jobs that you sort of want, they like to see a balance um, in your the type of work that you've had, and um, there's this kind of rite of what I call the rite of passage job um, at a place called GAM, which is like um, a, they run freight in in old Aero Commanders. Oh yeah, and they've been around for like you know forever, and you know it's a it's a challenging job. You're running to quite tight timelines and in pretty much all weather. And, um, you know, it's, it's a two-ended sort of a day. So you start first thing in the morning and then you fly somewhere, deliver the freight, stay in a hotel for the day and then fly back. Um, and I, I learned a ton on that job, um, you know, and learned where my limits were in terms of dip flying in different conditions and things like that. Um, and But the, the hours really didn't suit me with the family. I mean, I was gone from about quarter past five in the morning till about nine o'clock at night wow. most days most days of the week you did get weekends off which was unusual in aviation uh, but you know again the people that I was working with and um, you know the actual flying was fantastic I mean it's all under the instrument flight rules so um, you know it's it just it was just a much more um, scheduled um, time precious operation so it put a different sort of a pressure on you and um, and obviously flying in the different conditions in not super well equipped aeroplanes, um, you know. Again, you, you start to learn ways to to, to deal with the weather, and um, you know, find ways to get a job done where previously you might have thought it was not not possible. Sounds like it's kind of close to airlines flying in a way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely scheduled, and and when, when I say scheduled, like the freight arrives and then. We've just got to stick to as close to times as we could, um, but yeah, it's got a it's got a different um, level of pressure on it than instruction. Where whereas an instructor, you know, you, you can um, you know call off flights like if it's really sort of just going to be a deeply unpleasant experience because it's turbulent or windy or you know whatever the issues might be. It might be that the student's not going to get anything out of that. Um, but, you know, I had a, an old um, guy that taught instructor ratings and he's like, you have to you have to throw rocks. <laughs> you have to throw rocks at pilots these days to get them flying, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I always thought that was funny. But, um, but, yeah, so I guess just being a little bit more like, yeah, if it's at all possible, we are going to go, yeah, as opposed right. to. Um, if it's at all not possible, perhaps in instructing, you're probably not going to go. So yeah, you're looking at the um, Cessna 150 out on the ramp that's like upside down. 
because of the wind, and you're like, mm, yeah, maybe not today, hey? Yeah, off we go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's, it's amazing to put yourself in some situations that you hadn't been in before, and I certainly <laughs> scared my pants off a few times, but um, but I got a lot out of it and sort of got more understanding about where my limitations were mm. by pushing further into it, if you like. Totally. I think, yeah, only until you're sort of presented with those scenarios can you really make that assessment too. And and being single pilot operations for all this um, was was good as well because mm. as much as you'd like to turn around and go, hey, what do you think? There's no one there. Yeah. So, you got to make you a know, call. Deci- decision making becomes pretty important, yeah. Whereabouts were you flying? Uh, so, that was based out of Essendon Airport and at the time they had four runs sort of fo- – all around, some of them were really cushy, like they had a warnable run, oh, yeah. and you just sort of get the morning fly down there and relax for the day. It was a quick, and then they had a Mildura run, an Orby run, and a, a Bandstar run, yeah, cool. and essentially, essentially just all freight. And so, after doing that, did you end up flying aeromedical? Well, what what actually happened was, is I took a few months off. My my wife had a back injury, and a few other things sort of happened, and I needed to. Oh, essentially, the hours weren't working for me. At GAM, so I actually went back to just I was sort of looking after my son and um, working part time back instructing for a few months. I actually got um, my job at the air ambulance, but just due to a sort of a technical issue, I had to wait a period of time before I could start. I needed a certain amount of time with a certain uh, qualification. Yeah, right. As because it's a government contract, um, you know they're very strict with those things. So I just sort of I knew I had a job. Um, there starting, you know, some months later. And so I came back and just instructed for a while and then started at the air ambulance. Cool. So what company is the air ambulance and what, what, who do you, so who do you fly with? So the company's called Palair. They're a subsidiary of Rex um, and they run aeromedical contracts and freight and a few other bits and pieces uh, around the country. Um, and we are the contracted to Ambulance Victoria to do all their uh, aeromedical transfers um, and that can be anything from uh, low acuity sort of patient transfers through to primary um, type type work where people are very sick um, and they've also uh, recently secured the Sydney contract as well so um, they're doing really well um, with with those sort of contracts and they they fly four King Airs uh, fixed wings. There's um, a, another company called Babcock provides the helicopter services uh, with with all the helicopters around the state. So, yeah, it's a it's a really interesting, uh, diverse job. I, I mean, I, it was a job that I'd wanted, you know, when I probably first started flying, uh, and it's it's for me. I absolutely love it. It's just like really interesting flying, very high tech, you know highly capable aircraft uh, with all the weather systems and avoidance systems and anti-icing and de-icing so when it's uh, when it's when it's when it's crap out there it's um, a lot more um, capable can punch through it yeah and you know it's got the height capabilities of most of the jets and not quite the speed but you, but we're also landing in um, you know ALAs and short strips and so it's it's really you know you, you could be going to Mildura one day into some you know, to bright the next day or, you know, some little dirt strip somewhere. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I really like that sort of element of it. That, that sort of um, 
changing schedule what what's that kind of look like are you do you have a roster and what kind of how, how does that sort itself out there's three pretty well-defined rosters a, a morning sort of like a six to three roughly sort of a um, set of rosters and then like a two to 10 p.m sort of set of rosters and then the, the night shifts with a couple of uh exemption or a couple of changes but yeah it's it's um it takes a little bit of getting used to working around the clock, like all around the clock, and particularly those early hours of the morning when, when we'd all like to be asleep. I mean, I guess when I was 20, I was happy to be awake at those times, but <laughs> now I like to be asleep. But, yeah, you just you, you learn and adjust. And, yeah. It's a bit like being a musician again, weird hours. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, <laughs> definitely that. Um, but, yeah, the, the rostering's good. We've got um, a nice sort of roster of pilots, so it makes it pretty comfortable roster and – um, yeah, the work the work's just interesting. You know, you never know what you're going to do, which I, I actually really like. Some people, that will probably drive insane, but I, I really enjoy it. I like the idea of that too. You know, my mates in the airlines, they know what they're doing in 12 months. You know? Yeah, wow. Well. Obviously not at the moment, unfortunately, but, yeah, like the, the, t- the typical roster's a year out. So yeah, it's crazy. When people ask you if you can do a gig in a year, you're like, yeah, I can because I know what, what when I'm working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, yeah, like I've been really fortunate. Um, there's a couple of people at work who are really interested in music and, um, you know, I haven't really had to pull on it too much, but they've sort of said, look, if you've got a, if you've got a show on, just let us know and we'll swap shifts or cover shifts. And, and so um, I, I'm really um, cognitive of treating the, that job, my flying job, that's my job, you know, and... Um, and so I certainly don't take any advantages with that, but it's it's the first place that I've been where everyone knows what I do outside. You know, the param- you know, like my first flight, the paramedics were asking me about music. I mean, there's a lot of people really interested in in other stuff, and and so it's probably the first time I haven't really felt like it's my <laughs> my dirty little secret yeah. <laughs> outside of aviation. So that's been really good. That's awesome. It's great to hear that they're so accommodating too. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're. They understand it's uh, important to keep a lifestyle balance if it's possible, and I, and I do everything in my power to, um, you know, do absolutely right by them in, you know, um, taking all, you know, basically just being a professional, which which you might 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 not sound that hard, but it seems some people, you know, in the world that I've come across, seem to find it a challenge. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's just do your job to the best that you can, and then. Um, you know, and that, and they, it's been that sort of they've really helped me where 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 I've needed it. But fortunately, it hasn't clashed too much. That's cool. So, like, how far in advance do you know what your shifts are typically? Uh, it's a two week. It's a two week roster. But you you get the next two weeks sort of at the start. So it's about four weeks all up. Um, and yeah, you say so you, you kind of have an idea. So I guess you can still do music stuff and do rehearsals and rehearsals rehearsals <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't like the r word <laughs> yeah I, I don't do a lot of rehearsals either to be honest but <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't help that one of my bands you know at one point or another had nine people in it so paul lachlan who uh who's our manager would be trying to arrange <laughs> arrange to do you know a rehearsal it's just like chasing smoke so you need to use the um the airlines uh rostering system yeah that's it yeah oh we've tried all sorts of things but yeah no it's i mean it's obviously um you know for everybody it's 
like it's been difficult to watch the, the musical side of things as well. Like just all these people, you know, like there's just no, there's no possibility of shows at the moment. Mm. And, um, and we all, we all just have to adjust. I mean, it's just one of those situations. I mean, I think I'm like 43 now. I haven't had a time in my life where I really haven't had, you know, inverted commas, some control over the situation. But this is this is what it is at the moment, and you just have to kind of roll with it. There's no, you just have, we have to wait until there's a vaccine or until they figure something else out. So totally, that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit scary, but we'll, we'll get through it both musically yeah. and in aviation. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. So um, when you're flying these aeromedical uh, trips, what, what does that kind of fly, does that flying differ from any other kind of flying? Do you need to be getting to and from certain places fast and does that have sort of an impact on what the, the style of flying you're doing? Uh, no, we, we do have essentially... Um, uh, if you like a lights and sirens mode, which which we call medivac, uh, which we can which we can enact if if required, and and that's up to the paramedics to make that call or or the doctors or whoever we've got on board. Uh, but no, I mean they they know the limitations of the aircraft, so we we can we can make it to Mildura for say, which is probably the longest trip in the state, in about an hour. So there's not there's not really much else we can do about that. We just the planes go as fast as they go, but um, at the moment the skies are almost empty, so we're getting direct tracking. Um, you know, pretty much wherever we want to go, all of the time, which is weird. Which is like medivac tracking. Um, normally, we have to pr- follow prescribed uh, routes in the sky, um, and and if there's a lot of traffic, we either get slowed down or sped up or sent all over the place and one of my joys is if i hear one of my mates you know flying an airliner and i and i and i'm on medivac and i hear <laughs> i hear melbourne center just <laughs> steering them all out of the way parting the seas um, and we get that straight line path where we need to go you're it's like always uh-huh. fun. <laughs> yeah i like to send, send a text later sorry, on. Man. sorry man. sorry not sorry uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah but um you know that's a big change from being the you know in training or even 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 in freight, where they're like, "Oh, you you can just go around, mate. You're you're the least most important person." But yeah, and obviously, when we've got someone sick on board, there's a there's a, obviously a priority there, and and the, and we get looked after really well by by the air traffic control. Uh, how's that enacted? Is that something that you then contact air traffic control and you request that? Yeah, just when we when we give our IFR taxi call, which you have to do at the start of any uh, IFR flight. Um, we would give uh, the word medivac within there or upgrading to medivac. And then, um, yeah, off we go. Sometimes if we know it's going to be that both ways, we can actually put that in our flight plan as well. All right. And um, can that occur midway through a flight as well? Absolutely, yeah. Mm. yeah. And that does that does happen. And that's that's the other great thing. I mean, you might be just on, a, on an everyday sort of normal flight somewhere for, a um, say, just a patient transfer to come and – like, obviously – for elderly people who are really sick and they live a long way away and they've got to get treatments in Melbourne, being in the car six hours each way from Mildura or whatever it is is, is bad for them. So we we transfer a lot of people like that to come down and have their treatments, but maybe they're a low acuity or maybe, you know, something really like what they call a primary comes in where it's like that is a really high uh, acuity and the patient's quite sick, then we would um, divert to that job you know, 
Mm. And that happens and, and you're sort of sitting there planning in flight and we've got all these uh, ways that we go about doing that and making obviously making sure you've got enough fuel and checking the the, uh, the airport serviceable and all that sort of stuff and the weather, obviously. So um, it's quite dynamic and that's, you know, the training, the training for this role was up there with some of the hardest training that I've done and it's not so much, I mean, definitely the, the plane took some getting used to and, and using... Um, I guess, if you like, uh, higher level of technology and stuff. Um, <laughs> but that t- that took some getting used to, but it, but it's just the, the the way things changing sometimes and, and the fact that we are an ambulance in the air. So it's sort of, you know, there's a lot that can happen in a day, which is great. I love that. What, what's the training look like? So what, what do you have to do? Um, pretty much uh, the minimum prescribed is, is 50 hours. Um, and you know that, that sounds like a lot of training, but it goes quickly, and um, and particularly for me, I'd I'd come from just flying piston engine aircraft to moving into a turboprop, which is a jet engine, if you like, with a with a propeller attached. Um, they require different handling techniques, and obviously being in like really high, as opposed to just a bit high, like we're up in into the flight levels, which is you know essentially above 10,000 feet, um, there's different factors and pressurisation and, and other issues and managing your profile and things like that. They're, they're, none of it's particular. like, you know, there's a lot of people that say you can do your three times table or divide by five or whatever it is. It's, see, I, I don't even know what it is, so I'm really struggling. But, um, <laughs> I was going to say, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, but no, if you, it's, it's not particularly hard, but it's just, uh, you know, they're just new added um, elements to it. Um, the planning is to a much higher level in the sense of, um, yeah, there's just other elements that we have to consider. And so all of that as a package, you just you get to the end of your 50 hours and you're like, oh, and they're starting nice. to go, oh, look, I think, I think we can, uh, you know, we can start to think about putting you up for a check. And you're like, no, no, give me another 100 hours. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's fine. They, they have a much better understanding of where you're at um, probably than, than I would have at the time, if that makes sense. Mm, I think, again, that's that thing where it's the external, you know, uh, reviewing your abilities externally, like someone else seeing that and being able to co- make that call. Or I think when you're in it, you can get a bit like, oh, I, I don't know, and there's a bit of self-doubt. Yeah, and, and I think that's something that's been really good for me about aviation is if, if you want to have a, a career in aviation, you have to figure out a way to to get over the fact that you are checked all the time. Yeah. I mean, um, we're essentially on kind of a cyclic system, which means that we have an A check and a B check, so two checks a year plus people can just come at any time and jump in on your flight and mm. just essentially um, just sit and watch you and make sure, you know, and, and they're all different levels of being checked, but, it, but in essence, um, you know, there's – Every everything is um, being watched, and you just have to. The, the only way I've found it to make sure that you're comfortable with that is just to keep working to what the company prescribes to do, because mm. it, there's um, it's one of those things where um, yeah, if you, if you're trying to cut corners or do any of that that sort of stuff, it just it just doesn't work. It, um, but you also just have to look at each. Um, check as an op- another opportunity to, you know, like to tick something all, the people, 
Well, all, all, well, not that, but all the people that I that are training me and all the people that are checking me are seriously experienced uh, pilots. And so, you know, if I if I'm not getting something right, it's better that I know about it and f- figure out a way to to move forward. And you know, uh, and that's that's how it's designed to be. Mm. So, but but I know a lot of people who get really peaky. Um, coming up to the checks, and I've got a check coming up in a few weeks, and you already start to feel the butterflies a little bit. But you, yeah, the only way I found around that is just to prepare really well, and so that's been good for my own discipline and stuff like that. You know, um, to keep to keep pushing for those things, so it makes it a little bit easier on the day. It's never easy. They call it the sweat box for a reason. The sim, you know, you're sitting in there, and you're just like, this is this is not fun. <laughs> I've always been terrible as at exams, so it always stresses me out thinking about that. You just you just do so many in aviation that I think you either get to a point where you're just bugged out by every one of them, or you get to a point where you're just like, oh, well, just better just get it done, you know. And I'm probably somewhere between the two. To you know, I I, I don't think you're ever totally relaxed for any test. It might be a good thing. Yeah. Keeps in well, you're 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 about to find out, you know, just how much theory there is, and oh, yeah. you know, it just. Goes on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> <laughs> I keep going. Oh, you need that book and that book and that book and that book and that book. And yep. then, in, you know, how many tests there are for CPL? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's just retaining yeah. all of it. Yeah. And it's like all of its important information. It's not like, oh, you kind of don't need to know this. You kind of need to know all of it and be able to recall it. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I mean. Um, Look, it's one of those things where you seem all you seem to do is just spend money on on books and uh, different gear that you need, you know. And um, it's it's funny you watch new pilots and they come out with the biggest bag you've ever seen and the biggest watch <laughs> and glasses and they've got all the stuff. And then you see the oldest instructor and he's got like one little you know man bag with just a couple of charts and <laughs> it's sort of. It's just the gear gets less and less, but it's um, yeah, it's 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 definitely one of those things. You just if you if you're enjoying it, it's 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 fine, you know. Um, and I enjoyed all of the pretty much all of the study. I I found um, the ATPLs a real challenge just balancing that because I was working full time, had a family, was also playing music, and so that ended up being a, a bit of a longer saga than I'd hoped for. Mm. Uh, but I. I know I'm not. I'm not the only one who sort of went through that process. I've heard that's a pretty tough one. It was hard. Yeah. yeah. I, it, um, the flight planning exam is, um, you know, the one that everyone talks about. And look, it, it's a funny. It's a funny thing. Like it's. It takes just so much study, and that's that's really it. But if you do put that time in, it's really it's quite achievable. But. Um, but it's like, you know, but then I, I always come across these younger kids and they said, oh, yeah, I read the book a couple of times and I studied for a couple of weeks and I went in there and got 95 and I'm like, what? What? <laughs> You're a freak. You know? And, you know, but it's all right. I've found pl- plenty of uh, older guys like me and sort of like pouring water over a rock trying to get information <laughs> in there. So, um, but, yeah, it's, it's – uh, I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad all that major study is done. But, um uh you know it's doable if i can do it <laughs> anyone can do it <laughs> i've heard that a lot actually from people who are like oh you know i struggled a bit but i did it so you know you know if i yeah. can do it anyone can do it so i think it's all at- achievable but i think particularly if you're like interested in it like i'm super into aviation and 
every like aspect of like flying and everything every time i learn a little fact or something that i need to learn for an exam i'm like oh that's cool because you're in the sky and you're flying and it keeps you in the sky that's a cool fact <laughs> you know there's something like when you keep relating it to the fact that you're literally flying i think it's yeah. kind of exciting still definitely yeah I, and i mean you know i mean I, I say to a lot of people like when i was doing instructor ratings and stuff like it is a marathon it's really important that you don't like everyone just seems to want to be somewhere else right now yeah um and i, I think it's really important that you try and enjoy what you're doing um there's you know i loved instructing until i was ready to do something else and then and and so if you can keep enjoying what you're doing just sort of trying to you know not be too much of a hippie about it but be present you know actually be in the moment and you know it's you look back on it even the times that i thought were really challenging and and they were at times challenging but it is a it's like the people that that i've seen make it through um and get where they want to get it's just about sticking at it and um and i've you know had some great guys that sort of mentored me along the way that were sort of a couple of years ahead of me in the game and that and they were just fantastic for you know so finding people like that to you know you can ring up and just go oh, it's all over you know i hate flying you know and they go come on man you'll be right just push on through and and they're right you know um but there's there is a big drop off you know people it's not if, if you know people i think have dreams about what being a commercial pilot is and it and it can be like that but it can also be quite different on that road to that place you know i think yeah if you're too busy looking at the destination then you're stressing out whether you're achieving that or not but you're not present and i think flying the most important thing is being present particularly as a pilot because you know you need to be aware of it, your situation and be able to you know deal with that situation really effectively yeah and and uh, it's I mean, you're definitely the the more that you fly, and you'll find, you know, initially you're just holding onto the airplane, and it, it's flying you around, and your instructor's <laughs> stopping you, killing yourself. But it gets to this point where you're a bit ahead of everything that's going mm. on, and and then you start something new, some new part of your training, and then you're, you're miles behind it again. You're like, I swore I could fly last week, yeah. And then you know, then you get on top of that, and 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 that's there's so many um, great. Uh, different challenges. I mean, you know, I can see you've interviewed guys already that have just got such varied. I mean, you can literally do a hundred different things in flying. You know, mm. being an ag pilot, do seaplanes, um, you know, airlines, training. You know, and in the end, it'll just fulfil that <laughs> that addiction you've got to being in the sky. That's what we're, that's what we're all totally. you know chasing. I mean, it's. A, it's still, I still love looking out the window, so I don't think that'll change. No, not at all. And and the cool thing about it is, um, yeah, growing up, I, I always thought of the airlines as the thing to do, and um, I think it was probably the thing that stopped me pursuing it when I was younger because I was like, mm, maybe that's not exactly the path I want in aviation. But people don't realize that there's um, you know, a lot of options and a lot of pathways to take. And I think if people are more aware of that, you know, I think more people would get into it. Yeah, and and like I say, now's probably not a bad time to be training either. You know, and you don't, and like a lot of people were shocked, like particularly the the sort of OCD types that had their whole life planned out. You know, they like you don't know what you want to do. You know, like and I, here I am, a junior grade three instructor at the time, going, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I think I want to go to the air ambulance. That's that was sort of always sort of there somewhere in the sphere. But I I was just keen to just sort of see where things took me 
and, um, you know, essentially just wait and see how I felt about different things as they came up, you know, um, and I think you can do that. Uh, I know that if I, like, you know, there's always this competitive thing about the speed that people are going at in your first few years and that, that, that I wasted my time doing that a little bit. You know, you get a bit envious about people, you know, have this golden run or mm. um, people who don't at all have that golden run. Um, but I, in the end, I think just keeping the focus on what you're doing is is the key. And what, what, you know, if you keep at it and you persevere, you know, it's one of those things you can generally um, get where you want to get. Totally. But, um, you know, but it's it's what yeah. There's so many different things. There's a lot of fun to be had out there, but um, it's definitely not um, just all like easy. If that's what look, if people are thinking of getting into flying, you know, that you you'll have to do your time. It's it's a little bit old school in that regard, and that's probably not such a bad thing. You know, mm. like uh, people get antsy about the cadetships, but even the cadets, they have to do their time. You know, and there's no guarantee that they'd have a job at the end of all that anyway, particularly at the moment. But, um, you know, you sort of start out, you do your training, and you can either go out the bush and fly chooks around in the outback or you can um, stay in a capital city somewhere and train. And some people get lucky, like becoming flight instructor. Some people get lucky and get different sorts of jobs in capital cities. But, yeah, like, yeah, you just go out and do your time, totally. literally. Mm. <clears throat> It was, it was a thing I wanted to do recently. I was like, oh, I reckon aeromed would be a pretty awesome thing to do. And then everyone would always ask me, do you have to do any medical training? Which leads me to ask you whether <laughs> you need to do any medical training. Yeah, no, def- definitely not. I mean, um, we I personally really like getting in and, and being involved with the patient where mm. possible. That's something that's been a little bit annoying with COVID because there's, you know, a l- I mean, we still got to handle the patients, if you like, on the on the stretches and whatnot. But um, yeah, no, you don't have to have any medical training. But occasionally they'll, you know, for paramedics, only got two arms and they're they're both busy. They might get you to hold something or help them out with something. But but generally speaking, um, no, we're not required to do any medical procedures or have any medical training. But we do get the patients on and off the airplane, and we're dealing with people um, sometimes, I guess, on their worst day, and so. Um, having an element of interest in other people and, and um, you know, it helps. It's not, I don't think it's necessarily required, but, but um, yeah, it's sort of one of those jobs you're really working as a team. The paramedics are, are amazing. I love, I love working with those guys and, you know, got sort of endless respect for what they do and how they deal with di- different situations. And they're, they're, a lot of them have a very dark, sense of humor as well and because they can talk to only you with the headphones on oh, the right. patient you know <laughs> you get these great conversations they're just like i just you know they're awesome just really man, they make me laugh yeah i think it's a thing where sometimes you need the humor to you know help you through situations like that as well because it seems like a pretty intense job yeah sometimes sometimes definitely you know it's like and the paramedics talk about this too it's, you know I wasn't sure how the jobs will get to you, but it's not the jobs that you would always expect that sort of hit you in the heartstrings. It can just be a, you know, a, just something unexpected that mm. can be the job that sort of, but you've really got to compartmentalise when you're um, flying because it's important, you know. And you got to get there. You sometimes got to switch off. And Like for me, when I first started, I found jobs with kids and babies. I, I was really a bit apprehensive about those jobs, having a child myself and, uh, but it's fine after you've done a couple of them and, um, you know, um, we're, 
most of the time our, our patients are quite well stabilised because flying is not necessarily a great environment if you're not well. So they make sure they're really well stabilised before we take them anywhere to make sure there's no hiccups in flight because that's, um, you know, you can't always guarantee that, but it's, a, it's a quite a challenging workspace for the paramedic um, if things start to go bad. Yeah, totally. Seems like a really rewarding job though. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Hands down, can say it's the most enjoyable job in in all fac- in all sort of facets that I've had in terms of just just fulfilment and interest in the type of flying that we're doing and the difference in the work and and the crew. Of, you know, the guys that guys that I work with are good fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of fun to sort of hang out with in the crew room. That's cool. So yeah, you sort of sit there and and wait for the call like Ghostbusters, I guess, and <laughs> off you go. Do you have a, you know, a pole that you slide down like Simon? <laughs> I wish. I might have to get, might have to get one uh, fitted. Yeah. And uh, you're based in Essendon, aren't you? Yeah. Yep. So Essendon Airport, there's the um, police and the ambulance sort of a huge building all sort of joint to get up there, yep. And um, so, yeah, it's good you get to sort of, um, you know, it's, it's always active. You know, there's always a lot going on and, um, lots of different things happening there, I guess. You were talking earlier about uh, music and aviation, and we we're talking about some of the similarities. But there's a lot of musicians that do get drawn into aviation. You know, there's even a lot of famous musicians, and um, some that may have gotten caught in some terrible <laughs> accidents. John Denver. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. What What do you reckon? What was the joke? That? What's that? They said the joke with John Denver was he knew the difference between E and F on a guitar, but not on a fuel gauge. Is that? Oh <laughs> yes, I haven't. <laughs> I don't know. Someone told me. That I actually once. haven't heard. I haven't heard that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I don't know. It, to me, I actually think it's about as much as what the differences are. You know, mm. depending on depending on what sort of musician you are. Like, if you're a classical musician, I suppose there's probably a ton of structure. But I really liked the structure of aviation and the, and the way that you have to put things together in an orderly kind of fashion to to make sure things go well. That's that's probably not the way I always approach music. Um, it's a little bit more just uh, grabbing things. And I mean, primarily these days, I'm probably a writer, like for you know writing songs. And um, so the way that I write can be I can start it and finish it in a in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, but with with flying, it's got a pretty sort of procedural, uh, structured way to it. But there's definitely just that feel. Like we're really lucky, um, you know. We use autopilot a lot in the air ambulance, but because of the type of operation we're doing, and we're going in and out of aerodromes with, with lots of other light planes, we have to fly by hand a lot. And so that feeling of actually, there's a similarity between music and flying, but I, I couldn't. I don't know if I can nail it down to what exactly it is um, or why uh, why we're gravitated towards it. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Maybe it is because it's mm. more procedural. Like my background is improvised music and, you know, groove and jazz and stuff, mm. So, for, which is like totally open and you get on the stage and it's like whatever happens, happens, you know. Sometimes you don't know yep. what's going to happen. Sometimes you don't know who you're playing with. Yep. So, um, yeah, as aviation, it seems like the polar opposite to that. So maybe that's what I like about it. Yeah, I, I think I think that was what drew me to it was just doing something that had, um, well, a I wanted to work my brain a little bit more than I was, um, and for me as well, a lot of my music sort of in inverted commas field based music, so soul and R and B and blues and that sort of stuff. So it's um, it was nice to work a different part of the the brain 
and the soul, if you like. <laughs> you know, just actually, just actually having to um, think about things in a really pragmatic, cold. That's that, that is really required sometimes. I mean, mm. particularly in air medical, um, we might have a real like, and the, we're not usually told what what the condition of uh, the patient is with regards to our decisions around weather and stuff like that, but it just may not be possible or it may not be safe or smart to go out, you know, um, if we're not going to get in somewhere or, you know, if, if the weather if the weather is just unsuitable. And sometimes you just have to make that call and, you know, people will go, oh, but there's, you know, people that aren't used to making those decisions might go, oh, but you, you have to go, the patient's sick, you know, uh, but... That's it's not wise to endanger four people. Everyone else's life, or, yeah. You know, for one person, if you like. And there's other ways to get, and there's other ways to get people around. I mean, they could still go on the road if, if worse comes to worse. But generally speaking, we we can get most of the jobs done, but very occasionally, and you have to make the call. And I think that's why aviation is such a safe industry as well, because of all that and the super pragmatic, you know, rational sort of decision making. Yeah, and it is required. You can't. You can't operate on emotion, you know, and um, I think, you know, when you get further down your your flying career, you sort of really get to find out about your own skills and abilities and professionalism when it, when you're really under pressure, when everything, you know, when there's bad weather and maybe an issue at the aerodrome and you're under a time pressure and you've got people saying, oh, well, this has to be done and you've got to, the buck stops with you and that takes, you know, You've just got to be really strong in your conviction about whatever you're going to do, whichever way that might be, and then be willing to to accept the responsibility for yeah, it. Yeah, totally. And and that's that is a, you know it's something you can learn over time, and you certainly can feel those pressures because to the you know different careers, the people that own the business want the propellers turning. Mm. So, uh, but that that might not always be beneficial in other ways. Totally. So I'm going to finish on a bit of a fun question. Oh, yeah. What would your dream flying trip that you could take just for fun be? So I've always had a little bit of an obsession with seaplanes. And, of course, this is never going to happen. But if someone, you know, gave me like a, I don't know, some massive seaplane, I could just basically fly through the middle of Australia to start with and just sort of have a look up through the centre and then continue up into you know, Indonesia and just basically go on a flying surf trip. That would be very good. Just pack, you know, all the boards, all the mates. Pretty awesome. I was going to ask you if you heard Dan Bolton's interview. No, I haven't heard it yet. Yeah, I just saw it it today, the link. That was pretty much the same answer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I wanted to fly seaplanes, but I never, you know, it was, you know, by the time I was paid for all that stuff, it's one more endorsement. You're like, oh, God, I... I'm just out of cash on this now. I have to, you know, get to my forty grand a year and <laughs> start saving. <laughs> but but yeah, I I'd, I'd still like to do some seaplane flying. Um, as a as a guy, a couple of guys I work with who have done a bit of that, and um, and yeah, it's it's it's. I I just think it mixes. I love being in the water, mm. and um, and yeah, I saw some video doing the rounds the other day of a guy I think flying a Bevo in bare feet. Oh. And I was just like, yeah, that's that's the job for me. Like, just, that's the life. Yeah, just getting out. And, but yeah, maybe down the track. Who knows? And everywhere's a runway, so you've got complete and utter freedom. That's it. Get out there. Totally. So, how do we check out your music? What bands are you in now? I'm in a band called The Meltdown, uh, and that's out through Hope Street Records. It's sort of like uh, 
soul and R&B type of stuff. And, I, and I've just started a little record label just putting some stuff out in lockdown called Elwood Records, and awesome. that's um, and a, a little uh, sort of throw-together thing called The Breves with some of my favourite musicians. So, um, yeah, we just put a few things out on Spotify and whatnot. So, uh, But, yeah, kind of enjoying a bit of a break from some of the music as well, if that makes sense. Uh, but just setting my studio up here and and get myself comfortable in the, after the new move. It's looking good. Yeah, get in there. <laughs> I always find that's the hardest thing to move in any uh, house move is moving all the music gear. God, yeah. And, I mean, this is only temporary. I'm going to actually build a studio in the shed at the back, so like a soundproof space and full size. So Right next to your hangar. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not a bad idea. Now, now you think fly on studio. I thought about that a, about a year ago. I was like, oh, how cool would it be to have like a property out, you know, in the middle of nowhere in Victoria, regional Victoria, have a hangar, grass strip, studio there. You just fly and land and oh, do your yeah. recording for a week, come back. Well, I mean, a lot of a lot of uh, my friends who sort of play with, you know, bands like and well known bands, sort of, I guess, around Australia, they. I, I sort of had this idea that I could hire a King Air and, and essentially be, in inverted commas, the singing pilot, you know. So I would fly them where they need to go out and then get out and be their session. That would be very good. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but also, like, you know, when I was playing some schmaltzy sort of jazz, uh, you know, stuff to sort of have trips out to the bush and, um, you know, have musical sojourns, if you like, with, with big groups and stuff like that. But... Who knows, maybe one day. Got to get me as a bass player then. Yeah, well, you just got to hurry up and get your commercial license. Exactly. We can, we can take, a, take a couple of planes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> one with the gear and one with all the musos. That's it. Yeah. The can drive. We'll take the gear. In uh, the that's true. Yeah. <laughs> then we can start having cocktails there before they arrive. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show and um, sharing your aviation journey with us and particularly uh, your very distinctive career as a musician into aviation kind of like me so it's good it's yeah. uh, good inspiration for me too and yeah, for anyone else who wants to change careers and join aviation i'd say do it i'd say do it and good luck with your you know your travels within it and just go for it you know what have you got to lose a lot of money probably <laughs> well yeah that's it that's... initially initially barry my first um interviewee was like how do you start off with little money in aviation start off with a lot of money is <laughs> some joke like that you know <laughs> yeah it's the same it's the same in music isn't it like you oh, know, totally. I, won tats, I won tats lotto i'm gonna keep playing gigs till the money runs out yeah so it's like that you know there's plenty of plenty of scope to to uh <laughs> to lose money in both fields you're, you're set Great. That's why I'm so comfortable, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Oh, enjoy. Enjoy. Thank you. And thanks for coming on. No worries. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to episode three. It's been overwhelming how much interest there's been in the podcast, and I'm keen to get a whole lot more content out to you all. So don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and I'll see you next week.